Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always, and for the first time in quite a while in person, the wonderful co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm wonderful, Darren. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, that is... This is what I hear. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually thrilled that we are back doing in person. We won't obviously be doing all of them in person going forward, but we we are doing this week. We will be doing next week uh, and we'll be doing some more uh, in the weeks to come as well. We're we're on different sides of the room. We are indeed. We are socially distancing responsibly, mostly to prevent me from coming across on your microphone because it's been a while and I'm out of practice. It's not so much a public health thing. It's just that you're very loud. I am, and unfortunately, I'm a very high pitched as well, which means my voice carries across. I the love room. it. I like. I. I. I think your voice could never be too loud. Well, we'll we'll, we'll test that uh, theory <laughs> over the next little while. But yes, we are discussing uh, F. W. Murnau's 1927 film Sunrise, a song of two humans. This is a movie that I picked because it's it's come on to the 250 recently, and I thought, hey. I would like to talk about this. Also, it is in the public domain, which means you can watch it on YouTube. And yeah, I, I am a big soft spot for this film. I think when we, whenever we talk about classic Hollywood, I talk about how I'm more of a pre-code guy. I'm more of a silent cinema guy than a kind of a classic Hollywood era guy. So yeah, no, I, I'm thrilled to be, to be talking about this. Uh, what about yourself, Andrew? What are your initial kind of impressions? Had you seen this before? Are you familiar with FW Now's work? No, I knew the name and... Um... First, I haven't seen many of these sorts of, of, of movies by kind of um, uh, German filmmakers. Because, of course, kind of like pre-World War II and kind of, I guess, in Weimar as well, there, there, there was um, a lot of the world's best filmmakers were German, like Eisenstein and Murnau. And, Lang as well, because uh, Lang, yeah, Fritz Lang, yeah. yeah, and and I think the only one I've seen of them would be Fritz Lang, because I've, I've I've seen M, um, uh, and I haven't seen Nosferatu, which is Murnau's other other big work. film, yeah. But I, I I suppose like like I'm familiar with with them, and I'm familiar with the kind of look of them as well. Yes, well, I mean that that's the thing is that like, and I wonder. How much of my fondness for these kind of films is mainly because I grew up with, say, Tim Burton. We talked about before yeah. about like Tim Burton being baby's first auteur, but like the look and feel of his films, uh, you know, Beetlejuice, Batman, um, you know, Edward Scissorhands, all that sort of stuff. Like that aesthetic is something that I always loved as a kid. And I wonder if that's and, maybe why I gravitate towards them as I grow And it's up. something that I enjoy in art, I think, as well. Um, like the... the, the because of course, like expressionism isn't just kind of in in cinema. It's the likes of like Egon Schiele and um, or Egon Schiele. I'm not sure if that's the response. Edvard Munch, um, as as well. Kind of the the art um, that I kind of enjoy f- f- feels feels kind of um, inspired by a lot of the kind of uh, zeitgeisty stuff in Germany at the time, and um, is kind of. Um, interesting kind of I guess portraits of anguish <laughs> which don't sound like fun but I, I, I think the movie that we're going to be talking about is um, I feel like it's entertaining yeah. um, so 
Sorry. Yeah. No, no. I, I mean, like you, you point out that, yeah, expressionism is, is more than just cinema. It's a larger movement that's taking place in culture. Because I think Murnau began in the theater, uh, began in Max Reinhardt's uh, kind of Duchess Theater. And he kind of like a lot of the German expressionist directors would have come up there. Like he worked with, um, I think, Robert Wine, who directed, obviously, the uh, Cabinet of Dr. Calieri, which is another expression. That's another one. Yeah. yeah. That I heard of. For some reason, I thought that was Eisenstein, but it's not, is it? No, no it's fine. I think, uh, yeah. sorry. Um, but like, and again, these, these hugely influential films, these films that kind of like have this aesthetic that I absolutely love and kind of heightened stylized kind of atmospheric and just absolutely beautiful to, to look at as well. Yeah. I mean, like, I, again, it, it's one of those things. Kind of dreamlike as well. And, yeah. And, and because they're silent as well, because that that's that's the thing about, and again, I think we talked about when we talked about Inception, like, one of the things when you watch movies is the way that you process movies, just looking at the brain, is similar to the way that you process dream imagery, because it's not necessarily linear. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, the way that you move through the world because you experience cuts and transitions, because you experience it externally rather than internally. You are watching characters rather than seeing through their eyes necessarily. Yeah. A lot of film is dream or, you know. And I suppose like, like in other ways as well, like it's kind of like a, a, a lot of it is sort of wish fulfillment or, or kind of. Yeah. Um, or psychological like i mean i think we we've argued on this podcast that freud you know however questionable freud may be as a psychologist he's an excellent film critic i feel like the, this is going to be one of those podcasts where i'm going to talk about a lot of things that i know very little about <laughs> um, which is grand it's it's welcome to my world it's what i do absolutely every week uh, but very quickly just in terms it's of seamless though i would never i would never <laughs> guess that you know nothing i know nothing i went to school with darren and he was very dim <laughs> the only thing that changed is that I got confident. <laughs> that was that was the big moment. This is the opposite of the, of the truth, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, um, like so, just a bit of context in terms of like the movie that we're talking about today, which is is Sunrise. Right, nineteen twenty seven is regarded as a seismic year uh, in terms of film production. Um, you know, I mean, if the two fifty were more representative of classic cinema. You know, next year we could do like a, you know, a, a late spring of 1927 or something similar as a season like that. But it was a year That's where... There's a real ring to it. I know, it just rolls off the tongue, really. Um, late spring of 1927. 27, yeah. 27th heaven. So it is July 27. Um, Miscellany is continue. Actually, I do have newsreel uh, stuff that we're going to talk about here, ironically. <laughs> Are you going to do that? I am not going to do that. <laughs> what was happening with wrestling? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Um, um, the, the, the Lindy Hop. <laughs> Charles Lindbergh, that's the Lindy Bug on top of the flagpole. Um, but yeah, well, okay. Well, like, to give a sense of, like, where cinema was at this moment in time, this was a, a point of transition between silent cinema and cinema like sound cinema the 1927 was the year that the jazz singer was released which would obviously be the movie that would finally convince hollywood that sound synchronized sound and image was the future of the medium uh, it was also arguably the culmination of silent cinema it was a year where you had the release of not only sunrise a story of two humans and we'll talk about why that's significant in a moment didn't they know that streaming was the future <laughs> <laughs> A couple of executives, I mean, like, you know, this was produced at Fox, which hadn't yet been bought out by Disney, but across the road, you know, like at, at Universal, at Warner Brothers. 
pull, pull the reels underground into people's homes. <laughs> Just pump them right on in. Uh, we hold on to the reels. Uh, well, I mean, like, yeah, it's not the, the thing with uh, with Mank, where, like, Mank has this big section where Mayer basically predicts streaming. It's like, that's the future. We hold on to the film, and they pay us to look at it. That's the dream, baby. Um, and it's like, wow, he really saw the future in this very historically accurate film. Sorry, we should stop. I love Mank, and we should stop dunking on how historically inaccurate Mank is. Who cares? That's a, that's a fair fair point. Actually, you know what? I care. I read a book recently... It was set during World War Two, and all the anachronisms really bothered me. Um, I think it was like one that it started with. And from then on, I couldn't trust anything. It just sort of spiraled onwards and outwards. Yeah. Um, and like 1927, also the year that Metropolis was released, one of the great silent films, also one of the only other big kind of like German expressionist movies on the 250. It's on there along with kind of M, but M isn't silent. Um, Which one is this? Uh, Metropolis. Metropolis, oh, yes, okay. Yes, uh, big kind of... It's interesting with M, because it's very kind of like early um, sound. So the, there, there are parts of the movie where the sound goes completely, and it works to kind of dramatic effect. And you find that sometimes with uh, uh, movies of this era, that the, the, um, the conventions haven't really been uh, set in some cases... And that's generally to their credit. Like the 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 you're I, experimenting and playing and figuring out the form. Exactly. Yeah. It's like I I feel like the there's there's very little silence in movies these days, and whenever there is silence, it's very kind of um, uh, powerful. Yeah. Um, and even when it's it, and a lot of silence is actually just like accompanied with white noise, a heartbeat or a, a rising kind of siren in the background. Yeah. Or, or it's kind of just like telling people how to feel, I guess, which can sometimes be effective. Um, and I love a good score, but um, it's pro- probably kind of um, overdone or, 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 or under considered. Maybe. Yeah. And I mean, like, again, this is a point where. And this is this is, I think, what's interesting in terms of discussing Sunrise is the idea that like, yeah, this is the point where Hollywood moves towards sound. And there's this debate taking place in Hollywood. So to, to give a sense of like timeline by like April 1929, all of the major studios have said that anything that isn't in production already will be made with sound. Um, that is the future. So we are two years away from silent cinema basically being done with. And there's this argument from, I think, like critics, for example, the German film critic Rudolf Arnheim argued in kind of 1930 that silent film was not ripe for replacement. It had not lost its fruitfulness, but only its profitability. And I think that like one of the things when you look at Sunrise, because it is technically a silent film in that it doesn't feature any spoken dialogue, it still uses intercards, but it is experimenting with sound. Yeah, and I think you hear some kind of vague dialogue. You do. You hear crowd yeah. noise. You hear yeah, a lot yeah. of crowd noise. You hear a lot of animal noise, and then you hear crowd noise, which is and interesting. People are saying things. Yeah, like get out of the way. Get out of the way. Move, move. What you yeah, doing? Yeah, that's exactly. Like GTA supporting characters, <laughs> pretty much. Um, but like the thing is, basically, so like it's it's obviously it's the work of of Murnau. Murnau usually influential director, like, as we mentioned, Nosferatu from 1922, mm. like, the first vampire movie on screen. I believe you love, right? I adore Nosferatu. Nosferatu is one of my favorite movies. That's what movies. inspired your, your look, 
<laughs> right now. Thank you, Andrew. I have gotten the pandemic zero. Yes, that is what Andrew is, is referring to. No, um, he doesn't look like um, Nosferatu. Uh, yeah, my teeth are yellower, really, is the thing. No, Nosferatu didn't have, like, a, a, a goatee. I mean, I, I feel like that would have made people feel more at home. It's a Mark Strong thing, where he he's Nosferatu, and he really does look like Nosferatu. Have you oh, seen that? I think it was, I like, have... on Sky Arts. I have not. I saw The Shadow of Vampire with Willem Dafoe, mm. which is great, and Eddie Izzard, <laughs> unexpectedly. But it's, like, Mark Strong, and he's in Hungary, I think, and they're making, like, a Nosferatu movie. All right. Will you go to the fact machine and check? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been a while since we've done this. I think it might be one of those Sky Arts ones. And we're back from the fact machine. It is indeed Nosferatu in Love, a drama slash short from 2014, lasting 24 minutes, starring Mark Strong and Clara Isova, Peter Vanek, and um, another kind of supporting cast there. It is Playhouse Presents. So you are entirely right. It is uh, one of the Sky Arts things. Playhouse Presents. Four minutes. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's that's a half an hour with ad breaks. Yeah. But I mean, it is it is worth noting that like that. I think Playhouse Presents was also responsible for the infamous "You will never see it." Joseph finds as Michael Jackson. Wow. You remember that, don't you? No. Okay. It it he appeared very briefly in the trailer. And then they were like, no, we pulled the episode. We have presumably destroyed all of the negatives. You will never see this episode again. Um, yeah, is, is, was, was it kind of like daring? <laughs> 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 Disastrously so. Um, well, it was one of those, it was, the, the concept was it was one of those kind of celebrity short stories things, I think. Like the idea was celebrity urban, lin- uh, urban myths. And I think it was, was it him and Liza Minnelli or something or him sharing a car ride with another celebrity uh, who I'm sure was nowhere near as disastrously gassed as putting Joseph Fiennes uh, in that makeup. You and need to find him. another black person who changed his skin to white. Yeah, otherwise it's insensitive. But yes, uh, so sorry, that's a, that's a tangent upon a tangent. But yes, so Murnau had done, like in 1922, had done Nosferatu. Um what had attracted uh, Fox because this is a twen- this is a Fox production. William Fox, the owner, the the guy responsible for setting up Fox, was very eager to expand uh, the company and very eager to show like the bona fides, the kind of the power, the influence, and the fact that it was interested in cinema as an art form. So we're now, I think, in nineteen twenty four, produced a movie called The Last Laugh, and The Last Laugh, I believe, is notable for only having a single intertitle. Only one intertitle, and then the rest of the movie is entirely silent, but communicated without words. The night before it premiered, Fox apparently, like, met Murnau and said, anything you want. Is this, this isn't uh, Xanax uh, Fox, though. It's a, presumably it's, am I, am I understanding that it's an, that it's an earlier company? Or was this a company that uh, uh, Xanax bought? Um, to, to to which would become 20th Century Fox. I thought the Zanuck came in basically through relations, if I remember correctly, right? Did Zanuck not come in through marriage? Uh, he might have, yeah. But he, I think he was in charge of Fox at some point. He had some involvement with other... Anyway, sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm probably getting my my facts wrong. No, you well, to the fact machine, very quickly to check... 
But yes, yeah, so Zanuck basically bounced around Hollywood. So he worked at Warner Brothers. He left Warner Brothers in 1933. So after that, formed 20th Century Pictures, which would obviously then merge and become 20th Century Fox. With um, Fox Pictures that made this? or Yes. Well, what happened is basically uh, he and Nicholas Schenck bought fox in 1935 right okay and then folded it into yeah so 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 it wasn't too you right. no no you were entirely right um, <laughs> oh, <crap>. um <laughs> and andrew andrew rest is like I've, I've done my bit i've proved my uh Whew. yeah <laughs> but no no you're entirely right so yes it was william fox head of fox pictures um was basically showed up and in a decision that is presumably one of the reasons why fox ended up getting bought in 1935 was like anything it takes to get you Murnau to come to America and make one of your movies in my studio under my brand so we can have kind of prestige. Because like obviously Fox had like been buying theater chains in 1925, expanding kind of in Hollywood and the West Coast, investing in a sound on film process invested by Theodore Case. He'd worked with, say, Raoul Walsh, John Forge, uh, John Ford and Frank Aborz. And I apologies for this. Darren's going to take a run at it anyway. Frank Borzega, um, who was also... Sounds legit. I'm pretty sure I I might have made, already made some... Um, like, I did two runs on Sheila. Um, I think Eisenstein might be Eisenstein. I'm not sure. Um, but Don't yes. worry about it. So basically, like, uh, he, he Fox... And, and again, it's, it's notable that, like, one of the big things about this is that, like, Fox, when it was really... When, like, when DVD became a format... Fox was able to go, here are all of John Ford's movies. Ford at Fox was a big DVD box set. Yeah. Murnau and Borzega at Fox was another DVD box set. And part of that was down to William Fox basically going, these are talented directors, let's scoop them up and give them... But people poo-poo-poo. didn't have DVDs in the 30s. That was the problem. That, yeah, that, that, Fox was That's why the Fox um, got bought out, because they had all these DVDs, but they couldn't yeah. sell them. And, like, we should note, and again, this is where the silent reel will come in. Like, the premiere of Sunrise was an event. Because there were, like, reports in the papers about how absurdly lavish the spending on this movie was. All of the reviews mention, and I'm going to quote here from the New York Times in September 1927, the staggering sum of money that it cost. Uh... Years later, the New York Times would describe it as the culmination of silent filmmaking. They built a village on the shores of Lake Arrowhead uh, and a marshland in the Los Angeles studio. They built a standing set, a city that is a mile and a half wild that would stand as the Fox backlot. It was built for this movie. Um, That was the level of investment that was there. And again, snapshot of the Times the premiere was somewhat overshadowed by the fact that it was released in theaters with a movie reel news tone. Sorry, with a, a movie tone news reel that included footage of Benito Mussolini addressing the American ambassador in Rome, hearing his voice uh, speaking out loud, talking about the friendship between Italy and France, sorry, Italy and the United States. And again, it's fascinating to go back and read the New York Times articles because they're all like, and that nice chap Benito Mussolini, who harbinges a new yeah. era for relations. Like there, there's a lot of kind of um, revisionism. Like the, there's this idea that everybody looked at these fascist countries and thought there is a specter <laughs> <laughs> over Europe, 
Um, like the 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 uh, royal family, um, the Win- Win- Windsors, um, went and said they found Nazi Germany delightful, and 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 well, Hitler, the Olympics in nineteen thirty six as well. Yeah. Like the the you know the there there was a lot of tolerance. Um, anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I, I know, but it, it's kind of fun when you go back and you read, like, because you're reading reviews and it just at the moment, like in the middle of it, you get, and that nice man, Benito Mussolini. Yeah. You know, I used to love reading as, 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 as a child. Um, the, there was a book, it was the Chronicle of the 20th Century. And it was basically like reading a newspaper um, from uh, the start of the 20th century to the end. It was this big, thick uh, book with like news stories where it covers everything like the Russo-Japanese war and the Boxer Rebellion. And, and to be clear, these are actual news articles from the time, are they? Like laid yeah, out, well, basically yeah, laid out yeah, chronologically. They're, 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 I, or are they written in the style of? I yeah, I think they are. Yeah, yeah. It feels like you're 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 reading kind of newspaper articles because it's describing it as if it's kind of happening now. All right. Um, but yeah, sorry. Um, and and like again, like it's notable that like arguably like the the newsreel with sound, with audio, with synchronized speaking, um, synchronized kind of voices attracted arguably as much attention at the premiere as the film itself. Like it's notable that the October first issue of Moving Picture World devoted an entire review to the twenty minute newsreel. And here's a quote: "What impressed the audience most at the opening of Fox's Sunrise." was not so much the fine picture made by Fred W. Bernau, presumably Fred to his friends, as it was the movie tone accompaniment for the picture and movie tone series, which preceded the main feature. The perfection of the synchronization of sound and picture has at last been attained, and hereafter, anyone who doubts the future of this form of entertainment must be classified with those who thought that the movie was only a passing amusement for children, and folks of inferior mental capacity. So, like, yeah, this this is an interesting snapshot of a moment where it was changing. Um, it should be noted the newsreel also included the Vatican Choir singing, a military parade with band, and the, the Mussolini speech that we mentioned there as well. So, like, that's the context for the movie that we're going to be talking about today. But enough about the preamble, enough about the context. Let's jump right on in. Andrew, do you think that Sunrise, a song of two humans belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made. I would. And and I would say that kind of silent movie is... Well, I mean, it's not as if there's none on the list. There, there, are, there are a few. Some that we've already covered. And I, I, I quite like this. I quite like the way it looks. We kind of uh, mentioned the, that, that kind of expressionistic um, aesthetic that it has. Um, I found the performances great. I mean, they're 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 big, they're kind of enjoyable. I think that that it uh, it was it was it was it was maybe more important to do big performances maybe in in silent movies where you don't have dialogue to kind of sell yeah. lines and stuff, and and maybe even where you're worried about the quality of the film in particular. Like yeah, where you 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 can't communicate things by the tone of your voice or or, or by the words that you're saying. So that that the 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 expressions kind of need to be bigger. Um, I I enjoyed it a lot. I I've, I found it very kind of um, uh, painterly. Um, I thought 
a lot of a lot of the camera work was surprisingly kind of sophisticated, like some of the tracking shots and that sort of thing. Um, and um, yeah, no, I, 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 I feel like it does belong on um, on the top two fifty. Um, you, how about yourself, Dan? Well, you mentioned the the camera work. Like this, this is this is what is important and arguably why. And again, this is the thing that we mentioned with the transition from silent to sound, where, as you pointed out, many of the artists working in film, many of the directors were still figuring out the format and how it could work and what they could do with it. And what's interesting is that this comes at the tail end of the silent era. And we're now like, and again, this is the thing where Sunrise feels like a an artistic statement in a way that movies aren't always allowed to be, uh, you know, like, I mean, we talk about yeah. how, you know, movies like, like movies, Scorsese having to go to Netflix. We talk about Roma having to go to Netflix, all that sort of stuff. But like the idea that Fox basically gave Murnau this freedom and Murnau's statement of purpose, when he arrived in the States, his statement was, our whole effort must be bent towards ridding motion pictures of all that does not belong to them. All the tricks, gags, business, not of the cinema, but of the stage and the written book. That is what has been accomplished when certain films reach the level of great art. And you're right to single out the camera work here, because the camera work for its time is incredible and unprecedented. There's a, a, a this is a mild spoiler for the movie. I don't, out of context, it's just a bunch of images. There's a moment where a character wanders off into a marshland. Yes. And the camera follows them and kind of loses them. That was them a and, shot I was thinking about, yeah. yeah that's exactly, and then it pushes through and it looks like it's a long one or, you know, you suspect it might have been edited, but it looks like a, a modern kind of like one or, and it, it's absolutely beautiful. And like the way in which they did that was because the marshland itself was kind of soggy and it wasn't level and because like it was difficult to balance the camera, they actually connected the camera to a track on the ceiling and kind of suspended it with rope. Oh, and then wow. moved it along, which is absolutely kind of insane. It looks so well. Like, like, like a lot of these kind of movies look very kind of skippy and um, kind of, you, you know, um, like like you, 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 you can see the kind of joins. And, and there, there's, there's a small bit of that in, in, in this. You know, you you can tell it's not made now, obviously. Yeah. But 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 there's so little of it, and it just feels like there's so much attention yeah. given to like the whole craft of making a movie, and the, 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 like the there's there's a lot of quite good use of double exposure as well. Yes, which is something you can't do on stage, for example. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you, what they do on stage these days is that they 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 have they'll have like a screen with something kind of like uh, projected, uh, onto, projected it. onto it. And if it's kind of like translucent where like, um, yeah, where, where they'll have like a date come up in front of the characters or that sort of thing. Yeah. But like in terms of, and again, it, it's notable, like in terms of, of silent film, because we talked about like that quote that silent film, like had not lost its vigor. Like when films transition to sound, they would effectively start from zero again um, because the constraints of working in sound cinema were different from working in silent cinema. The cameras were loud, so you couldn't record dialogue over the sound of them, for example. 
uh, the microphone. Warren, where did you get these Batman Forever McDonald's uh, glasses? Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking wine out of, like, I, I tried to find the most suitable glass in Darren's house. And I was like, what are these? And I was looking at them. I was like, oh, it's a Batman glass. Is it kind of like a Batman sort of faux crystal glass? With the Joker on it. And it, it and well, actually, I, the Riddler, to be it, fair. Sorry, sorry, the Riddler. Um, I beg your pardon. I, I was <laughs> even reading given. it, saying the Riddler, as I was saying that. But it, I, I noticed at the bottom, when I finished my <laughs> wine, <laughs> that there's like a, an, an, a McDonald's M. <laughs> I love how outraged you are. <laughs> and, then, and then I looked down and I saw Batman Forever. It's like, Darren hates Batman Forever. <laughs> <laughs> I do hate Batman Forever with a passion for that. It's a lot of people's first, inc- I, I, like listening to kind of other film podcasts, it's a lot of people of our ages first kind of experience of like realizing that a movie can be bad. Which is exactly my experience of it, actually. I watched it and I was like, I, I was just so taken by how hot Nicole Kidman was. I'm sorry. But, no, um, it's fair. It's fair. Yeah. Um, to answer, do you want me to answer the question about the Batman? Yeah, line? yeah, please. Okay. Tell the, our listeners. Tell our listeners. So during the, during the pandemic. Um, <laughs> that explains like, it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> okay. it. That's all anybody ever needs to say. Um, no, during the pandemic. Like a lot of people, I there was there was a, there were relationships and there were, you know, things that happened and then there were breakups during the, the pandemic as well. And during one of those pandemic breakups, I regressed to a child uh, and was like, you know what I would like to do? I would like to pay thirty five dollars to uh, import a set of faux crystal Batman Forever mugs, because even though the movie is terrible, you have to admit the craftsmanship on those mugs is great. They look pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See, this is what we miss when we don't record in person. Um, but no, that that is the that is the serious answer to your question. It was a pandemic breakup by. Um, oh. I'm not going to say whether or not I am proud of it. I am proud of it. Um, <laughs> but that is that is my excuse there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, like, but yeah. So when cinema transitioned into sound. The cameras got louder. My 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 brother's in the army, and they have a they have a lot of acronyms, and one of them is uh, single officer unnecessary purchase. Soup. That's soup. soup. Yeah. So these are my soup, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. So that that is that is the sad story behind Darren's. John book. once got like a big transformer. <laughs> when, 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 he, when he was single for a bit like an Optimus Prime that turned into a truck <laughs> you don't have to try and make me feel better by, by suggesting that other people also do this thing um, but yes that could is, have been a kayak that you might never use <laughs> that, is, that is fair but if I not go- much kayaking in, in swords I guess that, that is fair as well <laughs> Sorry. Darren says he tries to track the podcast back. <laughs> I beg your I, I, no, I missed, I missed this. Uh, I actually did honestly miss this, to be fair. Um, but yeah, so the, when you went to sound, you had things like the, the actors having to be positioned around static microphones in order to record audio. You had things like the um, cameras being loud and therefore not being able to get close to actors. You had the cameras being extra mechanical to pick up sound and so difficult to move. So you lost. You had like an erasure of a lot of the knowledge that had been learned during the silent era. And the irony is that, like, arguably, and again, everything is subjective and tastes differ and all that sort of stuff, but Sunrise looks better 
than a lot of the early sound pictures. It looks a lot more dynamic. And I think like even on this podcast, when we look at movies from the 40s and the 50s, outside of something like, say, Citizen Kane, which was radical for its camera movements, mm. I would argue Sunrise like looks more dynamic and, and more flowing than something like, say, All About Eve, which we talked about earlier uh, this year on the podcast, and kind of other movies like that. And I know that those movies weren't necessarily trying to be dynamic and visually compelling, but I think like it's interesting that before before sound, you had these movies going, what can we do with visuals? And then you go to sound and it's like, well, actually, we're now constrained by the, you know, the, the technology. It's interesting that actually, even the point about like the cameras being loud, I was just like imagining you can just fit it with like a tighter lens. To, to, to zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I suppose that's probably not the case at all. Um, yeah. But yeah, well, I mean, like, like there's, there's all these sorts of stories about how they would have to, like, wrap the cameras in soundproof boxes, which made them impossible to move. And how, like, when you went to, um, like, sound, the best they could do was figure out how to, like, pan as well. And I mean, like, and again, arguably, it's it's even just things like the transition of format. Like we mentioned the expressionist nature of this movie where, like, there's a lot of uh, forced perspective. There's a lot of sequences where stages are very clearly, like, sloping and slanting. Like the bedroom in the house, where, like, it's very clear that the back of the room is a ramp uh, leading up to a door. Um, and, like, there's a lot of that, but that's because the frame is the old, like, 4 by 3 Academy ratio. So you don't have the widescreen layout that you would have, you know, during the 50s as cinema moved into widescreen. You have instead the kind of, like, you have to fill this box. And you fill this box by filling it from bottom to top. And you have that reflected in the kind of, like, the layout and design and the expression of style. Sorry, this is Darren's long-winded way of saying yes. Yes, I do think this belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies. Yeah. And so much of it that looks like a painting. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And kind of has this hallucinatory quality to it as well. And this kind of impressionistic quality, despite being expressionistic. But yeah, I, I kind of, I do. I think like for the reasons you said, there are silent movies on there. They tend to be Chaplin or Keaton. There's not a lot of German expressionism outside of, we mentioned M, we mentioned Metropolis, we mentioned this. Uh, and there's there's not a lot of kind of like European silent cinema outside of Metropolis. And I mean, this is a an American production but from a, a director. And I think yeah. there should be some Renau on there as well. So I think, yeah, it's entirely defensible. And some more kind of like our, our, our I guess, artistic uh, affair. Like, as, 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 as in kind of like as, as, as good as Chaplin is, it's very kind of, it's Populist. for a broad o- yeah. audience. Yeah, it's kind of... It's and, and we love Chaplin. And, we, and like we, we do, like we raved about the circus um, and all that. Like we, I, I do love Chaplin. This is not a Absolutely. big on Chaplin. Yeah, yeah. But the, 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 there is... Um, that this is this is doing something quite different, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it it has, um, I think maybe concessions to um, pleasing the audience, I guess, in uh, with with within it, and I, I don't think that takes away from it. Yeah, and and I think you get the kind of points that the movie is trying to make, um, in 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 spite of any of those concessions, or like maybe maybe that's not accurate, but. Anyway. And I mean, like, in terms of, again, sorry, when we were, this is going to be one of those things where I reckon the pre-spoiler zone context is going to be longer than the post-spoiler zone discussion. Might be, yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, like, again, in terms of that balance between artistic and creative freedom, like, this was famously the first Oscars were held in 1929, the first Academy Awards. 
And they gave out, like, there were a number of differences between the Academy Awards then and, and kind of what they would become and what they were crystallized into over the coming years. One of them was that there were technically two Best Picture prizes. There was the Best Popular Picture, uh, sorry, there was an Outstanding Picture, and there was Unique and Artistic Picture. Outstanding Picture went to a movie called Wings, uh, which interestingly enough... The best popular picture, like what they're thinking of doing now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the argument. That was the argument, was that they were going to try and split it like it was at that first ceremony. Um, and Wings was the popular win. It was a war movie. And ironically enough, we will probably end up mentioning Wings in about two weeks uh, on an unrelated uh, movie podcast discussion. Um, but like, unique and artistic picture went to Sunrise, uh, son, uh, Sunrise, 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 a song of two humans. And notably, that was the last time that the Academy gave out that unique and artistic picture award. And the Academy itself, when it's going over its own history, argues that the best picture for 1929 went to Wings, not to Sunrise. So the outstanding picture was the best picture. This was a separate and unique award. Also worth noting that, yes, despite the fact that it cost a bomb and, and its budget was like the source of gossip or like all around town. Like, the movie did not perform as Fox expected at the box office, again, explaining the context whereby 20th century pictures would consume Fox. Um, but basically, they they said, nope, that's that's the last time we're really working with we're now. Um, and it was also, yeah, basically the last time that the Academy gave out a unique and artistic picture award as well. So it's an interesting snapshot of that thing that you see in, in art in general and in movies in particular, where you have that balance between commercial viability and commercial demand and artistic advancement and artistic worth and the tension that exists between the two. Um, but yeah, sorry. So second question, Andrew, would this be on your own personal 250 You made a lot of money on the YouTube deal. Yeah. Well, yeah. We should note, by the way, that... Content it, creators. They get like money on the ads. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Um, I mean, we should mention it. I think we mentioned at the top, but it is out of copyright now because it doesn't involve Mickey Mouse. So it was allowed to lapse. Also because presumably like Disney didn't own Fox at the time. But it is, it is out of copyright. You can watch it on YouTube for free um, and wholeheartedly recommend it. But that's a, that's a separate question. Andrew... You can also read all of The Great Gatsby. Um, the, I think Planet Money did that. Okay. They read the entire thing to, to, when they were talking about like um, uh, copyrights. And, <laughs> and, and the thing... Things getting um, kind like of, out of copyright. Or yeah, anything. yeah, yeah. In, into the into the, the public, public domain. domain. Yeah, because like the cutoff is Steamboat Willie. That's generally agreed that that's the point at which like copyright seems unlikely to move on from, right? Because that at that point Mickey Mouse becomes public domain, and that will never happen, right? That's the general consensus. <laughs> I, I, I guess uh, you're oh, no, the I lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a lawyer, <laughs> but I studied law. Um, but yeah, so basically, yeah, so that, but it is, it is available for you. But would it be on your... Uh, you're the judge. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the law talking guy. guy. But um, Andrew, uh, first of all, well, had you seen this before? And second of all... No, I had not. No. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I had, I, I, I have very little experience of uh, silent movies. I had seen uh, some Chaplin as a child on telly. Yeah. Um, and that's that, that that's kind of like about it so we, we, we've covered and for some reason i i was kind of interested in german expressionism but never watched any of it um i think i had seen 
um, some of the Battleship Atemkin, um, but not 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 the entire thing. I think I had seen that kind of. Um, I mean, I haven't seen it. I, I've just seen the Untouchables. Yes, well, that that was the context actually, because it was in a kind of like a film club. Oh, uh, so they were showing like the scene and comparing. Yeah, yeah, to 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 give that kind of context to it. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's it. The answer is no. <laughs> uh, and and like, would this be on your own personal two fifty, having just watched it? Um, I'm not sure. It might, it might, but um, I'm not I'm not certain. I probably need a little bit of. Uh, distance or perspective kind of on it but um, it's it's not I can't think of anything that's sort of um, arguing against it being on 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 my like it 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 feels like it is my kind of movie in some ways and I think I I think I'll, I'll probably embarrass myself trying to talk about what the movie is about but I do feel that there are probably important themes there yeah i think like we are foregrounding like the technical artistic context stuff i think there is actually stuff that it's about it's actually and and to jump to my answer is it's a movie i love and adore i don't know if it'll be on my own personal 250 i think it might miss out on it just barely uh but i do and again i i think i've mentioned renau's like nosferatu is is it kind of it for me yeah. Um, and Calgary uh, would be another one for me. And even Mabouse, uh, the gambler, would be as well. So it missing out is not a big deal. Uh, and I love I love this movie he, so much. Um, I think Faustus, <laughs> is that what, a, fa- a fairly well-known yes. of his? Yeah, yeah. Or is yeah. it Dr. Faustus? I think it's I think it's Faustus. Yeah. Um, but it was like, that was one of the ones, that was one of his early calling card films, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like, I, I love Murnau. I love these movies. I love this movie in particular. Not sure if it would make that cut off of 250, which is great because whenever we have guests on, they're like, 250 is a lot of numbers. And Darren's like, but I love a lot of movies. Um, <laughs> so many movies, but I'm not sure if it would make that. And then finally, before we jump into the spoiler zone, if listeners have not seen Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, yeah. knowing that it is available to watch for free on YouTube perfectly legally, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and watch it? Yeah, yeah, do, do. Well, like, I know there are a lot of people who get off on the illegality of, of pirating <laughs> Watching movies. movies on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. You can um, pretend it's illegal if you want. Yeah. If that's your do you something, sick twist. Do something illegal while you watch the movie. No. Don't make suggestions, Andrew. We that's the only thing. We say that because that could be any number of things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> the podcast told me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do love the idea of getting called up on obscenity charts. So thank you very much, Andrew. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and for myself, absolutely. I would entirely recommend it. It is a, be- I watched it again tonight. And again, I'm not a crier at movies. Uh, and this, I, this didn't make me cry. I think as we discussed enough, it's a medical condition. Um, but I did come close. This actually really moved me. It's a really sweet, tender, heartwarming movie, which is quite impressive given like where it starts given like it's starting or inciting incident i found it yeah and i i think it's like in in spite of being kind of you know heartwarming i think it's also quite dark and stark (laughs) 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 well i mean almost as if like the expressionism captures something in the zeitgeist of the place that murnau came from well no but but that it 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 hints at a a kind of a truth that had been 
reached in um or sorry truth truth is probably a little bit too um <laughs> objective of a, of 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 a statement to make but the um let's say insights that have been reached by like the likes of Schopenhauer and Nietzsche which which were filtering into kind of all um kind of elements of society and ways of thinking about things and i i think i think that's certainly true for eisen sorry sorry for murnau um at least as i understand all right all right with that in mind then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone spoiler zone so andrew what is sunrise a song of two humans about for you um it is for me about um, uh, creating meaning in 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 life, and I I I think the the, the because it, there there is um, the stuff I just mentioned, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but the, 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 this is what I was thinking before watching the movie, so it might have kind of affected my watching of it but the the reading about the kind of influences of the likes of schopenhauer which i'm not any sort of an expert on and have a very naive understanding of and this naive understanding would be along the lines of um essentially having have having a much more sort of eastern philosophy and being being inspired by Eastern philosophy and believing that the world, that to live, is to feel pain and 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 to cause pain, um, and there is that in the movie, but there 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 it it's also influenced I think by, um, uh, existentialism. So like at, at attaching meaning to one's life, to. I guess combat combat the anguish or or the the just being uh, prey to um, uh, pleasure and pain, you know, and having uh, like establishing values and following them in your life. I think in 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 this, it's the um, the marriage. the The character of the husband um, is driven to kind of. Um, Contemplate murder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and like he's a complete psychopath. <laughs> 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 is, is, the lad is not well. We we uh, we we get a reminder of that later on. Like it's not just the the what it is. <laughs> it's like there there there's. Are a, we talking about the gentleman in the shaving shop? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He stands on his foot and then like <laughs> takes, takes out, out a rain. knife, <laughs> opens it very methodically, and moves yeah. it towards his throat very slowly. Yeah. And I, I could not. Sometimes tell existence is a pain. He had stabbed him and walked away. <laughs> Sometimes existence I mean, is causing others pain. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, and no, but it, it, it's it's, and I I feel that that's what I meant earlier on, and maybe I'm completely off base. But I feel like some some of the kind of happy, the the choice for a happy ending. If if it felt like a kind of like a concession, I feel, but in, not entirely. I I I think the movie the the movie kind of states what it's about. Yeah, let's sorry, let's be it, honest. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, like kind of life is sometimes uh, bitter and sometimes sweet. That this movie tears is about and laughter, every time sin and, and forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. But, 
that's it. Like there's this this song of the man and his wife is of no place and every place. You might hear it anywhere at any time. For wherever the sun rises and sets, in the city's turmoil or under the open sky on the farm, life is much the same. Sometimes bitter, sometimes sweet. Tears and laughter, sin and forgiveness. Yeah. And 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 that it's not a a kind of a a, a pay on to the pastoral uh, idea. Yes, I want to I want to talk about that yeah. as well. But we'll come back to that. Yeah, like I think it, it's an interesting movie in terms of like its relationship between city and like countryside. Yeah, and like interestingly enough, it's the kind of thing that I think reflects what's happening or what was happening in Europe and happening in the states at around the time. Feels as well. very European as well. Yeah, like the the set that they built, the the rural set, it feels like Norway, kind of a bit. Yeah, well, it, like, again, like it's not the plains, it's not the desert, it's not. No. it's it's like it's a marshland. Yeah, uh, which is not something you associate with American imagery in that way. Like even if you go to something like Psycho and you look at the pits there, they're like you you associate that wilderness with the desert in the states. That's the myth. That's the kind of story that's told about it. Like it is. It's interesting that it is like marshland and farmland. Yeah, the cities look very kind of American. They do, and like yeah. and the lighting as well and stuff, and like the place where they go to the fairground and like the circus. That looks like something like a World's Fair. I know. I don't know if like the history of the World's Fair whether it would have been open at this time. But it reminds me a lot of the imagery that you associate with that. Like trains kind of flying through the sky. Yeah. Champagne being served at these fine tables by like servants. Pig but chases. As you do, Babe Pig in the City prequel happening right here. I want to come back to that. But like, for me, one of the things that I kind of really respond to is... It's it's that that opening suggestion that you mentioned. The universality of it all. The idea that... like. And I, th- I think, like, this is based on a, on a short story, a particular short story. Um, and it's, it's like, that short story has actual characters and unfolds in an actual place. It's The Excursion to Tilsit by Herman Suderman. It's funny how these older movies generally don't name their characters. Yeah. Well, this is, yeah, it's, it's the man, the wife, the woman from the city, the maid, the photographer, the barber, the manicure girl, the obtrusive gentleman, the obliging gentleman, that sort of stuff. Those are the characters. But I think, like, it's not just that archetypalness. Like, because, like, in the country, they are the man and the wife, but they, they have a clear life. They have, like, they have a maid. They have a child together. They have obligations. They have animals. They have pets. And what's interesting is, obviously, the man seeks to escape that. Like, he has the affair with the woman from the city, and she inspires him to, like, murder his wife and drown her. But they end up going to the city... And they effectively become complete strangers. It's like, like, it's that kind of like grand, it's like the reverse of a nome. Like that, that theory that is at Durkheim had that when you go to a city, like he wrote at the, you know, I think it was at the Industrial Revolution. You go to the city and you feel alone and you feel like you don't belong and you feel like you don't have a place and you feel like you are not of the environment. You are like surrounded by people within 10, 20, 30 meters of you, but you are alone unknown and unknowable and what i find interesting about sunrise is it it kind of almost flips that because if you are unknown and unknowable in the city then you can have a fresh start like the man and the wife go to the city and they rekindle it like he jokes about like they're sailing as a second honeymoon but they become almost new people they become in love with one another and they it feels like a like they um a reminder 
of kind of who they had set out to be in yeah. their in their marriage vows because, because, because they, they literally go to a wedding and then they're like they come out of the wedding yeah. instead of the couple and that's very not is only beautiful. is that like very kind of profound but it's very funny and yeah. It, yeah it is beautiful but but they and the wedding bells that went off earlier when he was in the boat about to kill her. Play again on the soundtrack. Yeah. And again, we should mention, like, the soundtrack is remarkable here. You mentioned that it includes, like, lots of shouting as well. It includes, like, jump scares. Like, there's the noise of a horse at one point, which is, like, again, remarkable because this is a silent movie, but it's a silent movie that relies on sound uh, and uses it remarkably well. And again, uses that sound, arguably, to contribute to the anonymity of it, where none of the characters have lines, but there's the noise of people, yeah. which is like again something I find animals, of, yeah, and animals and nature. Well, I mean, like the, the animals are a big part of the movie. Like you have the dog basically try and save her, for example. You have the horse kind of judging him as he hides the like reeds that he's going to use to escape. The movie doesn't end with "Hey, look at that sunrise." <laughs> <laughs> what a song of two humans. <clears throat> While Leonardo DiCaprio points in his chair. Um, it's like, I finally got it. They said the line, say the line. But like, I, I that's what I find really interesting about it is the idea that like they go and like, because so much of like, again, this was happening at a point in time where people were migrating from rural areas to cities. And it initially looks like it's going to be one of those stories that was very popular about the time where like you had... At this, at this stage, I think you still have the majority of Americans living in rural areas. Like, the migration had begun, but it wouldn't really complete until the, the Depression and stuff like that forced people to come into the cities for bread lines and things like that and to kind of camp and where the money that still existed was. Uh, but you had basically this idea that in the country you are people and you are unique and you're distinct and you know all your neighbors and you have these decent familial values and you go to the city... And the city is full of scheming kind of criminals and people you don't know and people you can't trust. Like, yeah. that's that's what Superman is. Superman is this kid who is raised in Kansas and goes to Metropolis and brings those country values with him in, in the mid-30s. It's like, yeah, that that's the kind of, like, ideal kind of, like, myth that you have there. And what I find interesting here is that it initially looks like it's that, where, like, the woman from the city is basically a vamp. She shows up and she's like, how do you like the murder of your wife? And she's like, yeah, I could do that. I, I could definitely do that. Um, that wonderful shot, again, the tracking shot. Everybody really- loves this guy. Like, like every woman <laughs> wants him bad. It's like the manicure woman. Like... Maybe she's maybe she maybe she just kind of gives off that vibe and there's nothing to it at all. She's like, what are you talking about? I want to sleep with your husband. I'm just suffering a manicure. No, absolutely no subtext here yeah. whatsoever. It's as not I, my fault that I'm so enticing. <laughs> as I reach under his like little blanket. Yeah. Um, in... This movie was like it, 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 it's so sexy in comparison <laughs> to like movies made during the Hayes Code. Like, yes, you get like so much nudity. Um, yeah, and like you get. I suppose the twenties super... was kind of like that. Yeah, with, with like again flapper dancers and things like that, and like even the sense of like having come out of the First World War feeling kind of liberated. I mean, in Europe you had like the bright young things, wasn't that the generation that you had? Like the like we survived this thing. Let's all drink champagne and get lewd, you know? Yeah. Um, like I mean, here you have jazz, like, man. <laughs> 
But here you have like sequences of like, you know, she gets out of bed and she's undressed and she kind of puts her, her shirt on. You have sequences like in the wilderness where it looks like they're about to start screwing on the marsh at any given yeah. time where she's doing a little sexy dance it's for very him. Very passionate kissing. And yeah. This, like that you probably don't get away with. kind of Under the haze. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's a wonderful moment where the pig runs under a curtain and he opens the curtain and there's two, two young'uns there snogging like nobody's business. Fingering. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. We're very, I'm very immature. I beg your pardon. Ah, uh, no, no worries at all. Man looks like Tim- Timothy Chalamet when he gets his uh, 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 beard done. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that he goes done. to the city and gets cleaned up. Like he, like he. It's like once he gets kind of like the heavy, like black makeup removed from his face. Like, yeah, pretty handsome. Pretty, pretty handsome. I, also I mean, he's pretty handsome to begin with. You, I, yeah. you, 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 you murder your wife for her, right? Right. You murder. But um, the fact, I love that they go to the city and most of the people are nice to them. Which yeah. is kind of like, and every time it looks like, so they, like they go to the barber shop and the barber invites them in. He's like, no, 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 come in. You, you look like rubes. Come on, we'll tidy you up. It'll be great. They go to like the, the photography place and it's like, oh, I broke the statue, which is again, one of those kind of, yes. uh, like a wonderful joke. And you know, they don't break the statue, but also like when the guy sees that they've like put a little doll's head on top to distract it, he doesn't get angry. He smiles and laughs at the prospect. There is a moment as well when they're in the dance hall after finding the the pig, the, the pig, where they put on a peasant's, a peasant's dance. dance. Yeah, and I got the feeling in that scene that it was going to be this thing where there's all of these kind of dandies looking at these peasants and kind of making a whole mockery of them, you know, but that's yeah. not how, how, how it goes. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if there is ambiguity there because it does look like he, he's kind of like, he wants to leave and I he don't know. He looks a bit shy and I, yeah. I, it, it feels like he kind of doesn't want to seem a bumpkin. Maybe. Yeah. Um, um, but again, even that resolves with them dancing and being happy and kind of loving. Celebrated uh, sincerely. Yeah. yeah. Which which I kind of love because, again, like when you watch it and you look at how it's set up, you're like, this looks like a classic kind of like city mouse kind of story. This looks like a story about how the city is this place of corruption and sin and vice. And instead it's like, no, the city's actually quite wonderful. The city's like anywhere else. You can kind of like... You can go there and get lost in the crowd. Yeah. The, the problem isn't the city. The problem is you. Yeah, that's it that, exactly. Yeah, that, 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 the, that the issue with the world is that um, if, we don't, if, we don't, if we don't attach some value or meaning to the world that we can't be, we're going to find it very difficult <laughs> anyway to be happy. Yeah. And that, that's when it kind of um, like infidelity it's sort of kind of a uh, maybe a natural thing to occur when 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 you are not interpreting the world through through any kind of um, a special code, you know where are 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 where you've uh, um, where 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 you've let that kind of like um, uh, attraction override kind of what you're about, I guess, or, or whatever like commitments. That well, the promises made. you've quite literally made as the... Um... So, so, I, some, I sometimes joke to Katrina, I say, why go out for a burger when I have a burger at home? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is the, I mean, classy, uh, classy. Paul Newman's wife hated that expression about why go out for a burger when I have prime rib at home. Steak at home. She's like, why am I meat? <laughs> but um, yeah. I also love that you downgrade it as well. It's <laughs> it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's okay, but yeah, no, like that. I find so like, and I find like it really like really pretty and kind of really moving and really sweet and like how much of the the movie is kind of and again part of me wonders like i was watching this and maybe it's because the title is similar but i can't help but think of something like before sunrise where there's a very similar premise right down to like the scene of the two of them on the like before sunrise has the set of them on the tram together Kind yeah. of like that's the moment where they really bond and really connect. It's famously, it's a one take sequence link later shot with the two of them on a tram. And like, I wonder, it feels a lot like that. Where like in the, the like the before trilogy, the before after kind of sunset sunrise trilogy, they have this idea of meeting as strangers and connecting as strangers. And I love the idea that like the man and the wife who don't get any names in this movie, but who like connect as strangers again it's it's something that is very romantic to me in a very goofy old-fashioned hokey sort of way the idea that you are with this person and well, I think you, you can mean, still discover one another you know if that makes sense and i and i think you, like like you eat that stuff up i i, I am I'm, I'm a sap yeah true and true i'm i am I mean, like the, the, that was like a problem i think <laughs> with, with the sunrise yeah well, um or which um sorry uh, sunset yeah well I didn't yeah the affair thing did bother me with that I, I have to admit like uh, you know I quite like the idea that no I, I am the prime I like prime rib if we're continuing this analogy <laughs> apparently which you stop. have com- yeah we should stop but you've committed us to it but no like I, I like the idea that the person you are with can still surprise you and you can still connect and because obviously yeah. like like you know, the the argument is that maybe they're regressing or maybe they are remembering why they loved each other. But I, the thing is, the I, world they're in is new. All this stuff wasn't there when they first met and connected. They are meeting like in a new world as new people. It's not that they're nostalgically going back. It's that they're rediscovering in a new context, which I find interesting. To be clear, I suppose I I, I understand um, infidelity. I I. I well, I, I I guess I understand it generally, but it, uh, also kind of in the context where somebody has uh, not been authentic in kind of committing to, so, to someone or, or have have done it feeling kind of like under pressure or thinking that it it's it's them when it's not when yeah. when 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 they're kind of. Um, uh, meaning is not going to be kind of, um, uh, so, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, no, no, and like, like, like I am like. Then to be clear, I, I am don't not. Know if I'm the not, word for it is bad faith, but yeah, yeah, and I am, I am not arguing. For example, that like you are stuck to the person that you're married to no, forever and no. for all eternity. Or anything just like that. in case it, just it in case it sounds like, like that. Because, yeah, like because I'm, that's very sort of. Um, uh, like it, 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 do, it doesn't, it doesn't serve people no. or, or flourishing. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. That it, like, just in case there's any ambiguity there, Darren believes in divorce. Um, but like, I, I do find something romantic in the idea of like being with your partner and discovering that they still have new things to show you. And like, 
celebrating the newness of that because they go and they get their picture taken, which would have been impossible, presumably, when they first married or would have been very difficult. It seems like they have never been to town before. It seems like they have never done any of this stuff together. But they go and they have a journey and they adventure and they explore and they try new things with one another. Now, to be fair, the man does seem like a bit of a jackass when he's trying to get a ball in the hole and see the hog roll. Um, like when she's like, I want to go dancing. He's like, no, I want to I want to get the ball in the hole and see more hogs roll. Thank you very much. Uh, but I do kind of I love the idea. I love the imagery of them just being like, yeah, this is a, a new world and let's kind of embrace it and kind of, you know, enjoy it. Like I like my parents are, you know, my parents have raised three kids uh, and like all of us are out of the house now. My youngest sibling is now kind of graduated and is finding her way in the world. And that's fantastic. And my parents are like planning to go on holidays together. They're planning to go exploring the world together. And I find that like really sweet. I find that kind of like that's the most romantic thing I can kind of imagine. So, yes, yeah, so this is why Sunrise kind of speaks to Darren. This is why Sunrise is like, yeah. I'm kind of entirely on board with this. This movie kind of has me from the get-go. Yeah, and I I think as well, like, like not to generalize too much, but I think people who are sometimes children of unhappy marriages don't have that same... That's fair. Kind of, um, Faith uh, or kind of like... Yeah, or, or aren't drawn to these stories as, as kind of strongly if they don't feel that it represents their kind of experience, I suppose. And that's know. true. I mean, we've talked on the podcast before about things like the, the obsession with dad stuff in Star Wars, where we're fascinated by it, but don't connect to it, if that makes sense. Right. And like, but it's universal and it's everywhere and it's kind of fascinating to look at and try and understand. Whereas this is something that I think resonates with me or at least resonates kind of personally with me. I just, I just find it really, really beautiful. It's also like funny and sweet and like charming and it moves really quickly and it looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, Like again, the, the argument that Murnau is doing stuff that you can only really do on film. You couldn't do this on stage. You couldn't do it in a book. You are trying to make an argument for film as a young medium as something unique and distinct. It's not a stage play. Uh, it's not a book. It's something that can only really be communicated uh, on screen. And I think it's interesting that it's called a song of two humans rather than a story of two humans. And I think like um, one of the kind of critics at the time or kind of one of the subsequent directors of, of an adaptation uh, of a trip to Tilsid or an excursion to Tilsid made the argument that he was telling a story, whereas Sunrise was actually a poem. And I, I kind of like that that quality that, that we kind of speak to the expressionist element of it. But the fact that it's it's emotive rather than literal or rather than. Kind yeah. Of... And it's it's it, it's very sort it's. It's a it I I think it's part it's you you can think of it in terms of finding another person but I think you can also think of it in terms of finding yourself or kind of um connecting with your own humanity a bit like RoboCop <laughs> obligatory RoboCop reference um uh, since we're since we're in that stage of the podcast um I should mention by the way that there is. I would argue a lot of food waste. A lot of yeah. that wine gets spilled, for example. There he walks is. out to have his affair and he leaves the bread on the table. Yeah, this infidelity combined with food waste. It's just an unforgivable uh, is, sin, really. There is some cake waste, I think. He offers her cake and I think... Oh, at the table when he's trying to make out. up to her. Now, yeah. to be fair, I think 
I, I would have a hard time ruling that food waste. I think the emotional state she's in where she's just realized her husband tried to murder her. It's um, like, don't be afraid of me. <laughs> I'm giving you I'm cake. I'm trying to murder you now. <laughs> like, I love that that, like, this is a movie that is so sparing with title cards. Like, it, there's a lot of title cards early on when they're kind of laying out the plot. Because, like, the first 35 minutes are, come on, murder your wife. He's like, I don't know. He's like, but sexy times. And he's like, you make a good point. And she does. In she- <laughs> it is a good argument. It is a very convincing argument. But, like, after that title cards are like relatively sparing and i love i love that like very sexy time (laughs) and i love that i love that that he's like don't be afraid of me twice then the movie like reiterates the point it's like just so you're clear hey don't you remember i said don't be afraid of me it seems like you're still afraid of me are you not listening you're not a very good listener we should we should put on the title card let's put on the title card again see if it works um but like i kind of i kind of do love that i love that yeah his solution is but Cake, right? I brought you lots of cake. Exactly, that, uh, yeah. It yeah. sells all of life. Then flowers. And I, do you know what? I think she enjoys the cake, like the, the gesture of it, funnily enough, and enjoys the the flowers, the gesture of it. She's such a sweet person. Yeah. That she, she can't kind of help but react and then realizes kind of how sad she is. Yeah. I mean, like, there, there are wonderful bits where, like, she goes and she picks up the flowers. Like, she makes a point to carry the flowers with her throughout the day even past the point where it's practical so i mean i guess that maybe counts against the food waste argument she she avoids unnecessary flower waste yeah, yeah. There, there there is inappropriate smoking i guess like the, i was thinking earlier kind of should you smoke in silk there are ways of fixing it if it burns you can get the cigarette burns on silk which i assume is what she's wearing but she's also later smoking in bed and in fairness she is smoking out the edge of the bed but also smoking gives you cancer. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that is, that is, it's a hard and fast rule for a reason. I did love, by the way, that when they were journeying across the lake on the way back, they passed like, and again, it's playing, I think it's playing. Oh, there's a boat walls, on fire. But there's a boat, that, where they, <laughs> there's, there's a boat where like. The storm is about to start. <laughs> yeah. And, and like all of the, the residents on the boat are like singing and clapping, but there's a fire, like a campfire in the middle. I'm of sure them. that's normal. <laughs> Well, nobody seems too surprised by it. No. But I do love that it's... You could probably do with, like, one of those big cans. You know, with something something heavy inside of us. To, oh, to, yeah, to so insulate it so it doesn't burn so it doesn't the wood tip over. around you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, I mean, also, like, let's talk about the pig chase. Because, again, the yeah. babe pig in the city yeah. stuff. Because uh, it does have a drunken pig. Uh, which I feel like more movies need, I perhaps. Have now, I do worry this was a movie made in 1927. I worry about what they did to the pig. It's a close-up of the pig, too. Yes, there's a, like a reaction shot of the pig to show you how happy the pig is. That's a good pig actor. I, mean, I can't find a credit for it. But the yeah, the movie's like, yeah, he's having a good time. And there was an Oscar those days. For, for, for best, best pig. <laughs> well, I mean, like the, the interesting thing about the Oscars was the Oscars in those days, like when they say best actress... They actually gave Best Actress. It was like, which actress did the best work in these years? And Gaynor, actually, Janet Gaynor, who plays the wife here, uh, won Best Actress. But she won for a variety of roles. So she won... um, Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, so like for a body of work. She won for three Fox films. So obviously, Sunrise, which we mentioned. The Poor Waif, who loves Charles Farrell in Seventh Heaven. And in Street Angel. Is that the entire... Oh. Is that the entire title? It's, sorry. Seventh uh, Heaven, sorry, is the title. Oh, okay. Not Seventh Heaven and Street Angel. Um, but Seventh Heaven and Street Angel, uh, where she played um, 
to kind of like a love interest for Charles Charles Farrell. And I love that it's like, yeah, no, it's a body of work. We are giving you the Oscar for your work. You are the best actress this year you in everything. You have to pick which of your movies. Yeah. You don't have, like, Kate Winslet doesn't have to do category fraud. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. There was, there was, did that happen with, like, Amy Ryan as well for, or sorry, not, maybe it's, no, that's not who I'm thinking of, is it? Um, for, um, what was that Tom Ford movie? Oh, uh, Julianne Moore for A Single Man. Is that, is that the one you're thinking no, of? No, no, no. Oh, I, I mean, the one with Aaron, oh, a- Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Oh, uh, Nocturnal Animals, Amy Nocturnal Adams. Animals. Yes, sorry. Yeah, that's Amy the one Adams, I, was... I think that year. Went uh, for supporting rather than lead? I think so, yeah. She had like a couple of roles that year that she was getting kind of recognized for, um, if, if I remember right. Um but yeah, no. It, I really like, like that movie, Nocturnal Animals. Actually, it's I, I bizarrely watched it on a first date, and there was a second date. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, it has to be an improvement, right? I think, I think like Inland Empire by David Lynch was a second date movie for me, which was remarkable, and there was a third date. Yeah, shouldn't generally see a movie on a first date. <laughs> we say on a movie podcast as well but yeah no like there, there is a long history of category fraud and I like that yeah just we best actors make that a part of our recommendations it's like yeah no we'd recommend it don't watch don't, it on uh, the not on a first date yeah that's that's the barrier here well I mean like I, I kind of love this because it would mean that like um, what's his face uh, Eddie Redmayne like would get his Oscar for like Stephen Hawking and Jupiter Ascending like <laughs> truly the best actor in the business that's that's kind of like that's why I would argue for the return of this, but I do find it interesting. All right, I think we're kind of. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Oh, and the there would be movies that would take away. Oh, like like net gains. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you have to get over the line. Yeah, yeah. So you subtract your Razzie from your Oscar points, and yeah. So Sandra Bullock, I like does all about all about Steve cancel out the Blind Side. That's the question. Yeah, you get to a certain point where it's like. Uh, it's easier to go for a rousing <laughs> at this stage. I'm kind of committed, um, but I do. I do love the idea of like it being like a handicap game, where like and where like Hanks is like, look, I will make a Razzie worthy movie, and then I'm just gonna go straight for the Oscar. I I, I identified with this movie because I, I've I I've wrestled a pig before, but it, it it wasn't a small pig that's quick and you have to run after it. It was a very large pig. <laughs> um, <laughs> This pig was like about 600 pounds. It was ridiculous. We, I, Did you I, win? Yeah, I, I had some help. But my role at the end of it was to wrestle him into... And apologies for anybody who's... This pig wasn't being taken to be butchered. It was part of a kind of a show farm. Now, obviously, there are people who have problems with that, but whatever. This was the context of it. There was a show farm for children to kind of learn about you know, farmyard animals and menageries and stuff. I had to wrestle him. Now gather around children and watch Andrew wrestle a pig. I had to wrestle him into the um, the scoop of a uh, of like a, a, a digger or like okay. a JCB. Oh. And then they had to drive like several kilometers. With, with the pig. And with me oh. holding on to the pig. In the in the scoop. Yeah, so that it didn't like... I was jump ho- holding on with like both arms and both legs like to the scoop <laughs> and holding on to the pig at the same time. Uh, with my other arms and legs. This feels, <laughs> this feels like the latest Clint Eastwood movie. It really does. It's like, yeah, Andrew's still wrestling pigs at his age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like in my 80s but I can still 
<laughs> no, 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 no. That that's the previous movie. In this movie, Clint Eastwood is in his nineties and he does turn down sex. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's growing as an artist. I feel. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, did... he gets too much. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> he did have it like the mule has a threesome scene. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. People were so tickled by that. It's like, and he he made this movie, didn't he? Yeah, he directed it. Um, <laughs> But like, I, th- I think there is some level of admiration for like. There's a point where it just stops being creepy and starts being kind of like amusing. Well, every, or... Everything becomes a virtue when you're old. Like when that, you're having a great. drink, it's like oh, and and he had a drink. He had a, he had a full two <laughs> drinks. Fair play to him. <laughs> so this is the logic by which Clint Eastwood's the mule is a, is yeah, a master. Yeah. He, he, he ran drugs in the back of his car. Yeah, had sex with two women at the at same, same time. time. Yeah, it's a it's great for his age. Yep. And delivered some life no, advice afterwards. No butter to him at all. Yeah. Jesus. Um, sorry. That's a bit of our a bit of our uh, country bumpkin uh, stuff going out there. Sorry, that was probably a bit too much. <laughs> it was perhaps a bit too much. Um, but yeah. So the the pig. I find like I love the, the again the animal imagery here. I find fascinating as well because it's very much like. And again, it's it's like the world is judging you. There is elements of like God and religion there and the idea of there being a morality, perhaps there being some force that controls the universe. But I like the idea that that force isn't necessarily like traditionally religious. It just moves through the animals. So like the dog knows that the man is planning to murder his wife. The horse seems to know that the man is planning to murder his wife. Yes. And that like the the pig running through the city feels like a metaphor for these two peasants, according to the waltz, kind of like then running through the city. The pig now. is a total metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, maybe I'm reaching. Maybe I'm reaching. But I, I sorry, it, sorry. I find like I love I, that juxtaposition. That's no, I, I love that juxtaposition. That idea of kind of like rural and and kind of urban life at a time where it's transitioning, and also just finally before we go, and again. You thought the pig imagery was a reach. Here we go. <laughs> go for it. There's a lot of screen imagery, which I really like. There's a lot of stuff that you see through windows kind of framed, particularly on the tram. I love that, like, they're in the compartment that is closed by a window. You see the approach of the city through the front window of a tram. So you're looking at a screen yeah, through a screen as well. The frames the- of the bed sort of kind of uh, even kind of uh, have, have this strange sort of... Um, uh, I, sorry, maybe, maybe, maybe not in terms of screening, but in terms of framing. Yeah, yeah, but as well the reflection of themselves in the glass when they're yeah. looking at the. Sorry, maybe that's not your point at no, all. No, no, but I, I, again, like the the use of like framing and kind of and the way in which it again, it's the fact that it knows it's a movie without without falling into it, that trope that we've referenced of every movie being about movies, but it's drawing your attention, I think, to. Like there's constantly screens and there's constantly frames. There's constantly like even when they go to the city, there's the frame between like the dance hall and the party happening outside, for example. Yeah. There's the frame with the statue and that statue's in a space that is separate from the dining hall as well. And it's all like peering through windows, as you mentioned, as well. Like all that sort of stuff. And even like, again, the picture. It's like in that, in that Tarkovsky movie that we butchered. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we have not covered a Tarkovsky movie way back since. then. Yeah, we've uh, not covered a Tarkovsky movie since. Yeah, no, I, but the, the the way the way the way that that kind of framed things, but mm-hmm. I I think it maybe did did it a lot more kind of a um, look at this <laughs> <laughs> sort of way as opposed to uh, like let's just have some kind of fun. Is, this is less kind of intrusive in the way it does it, but it's it's no less artful. Yeah, uh, I would argue. 
And then finally, uh, there was one last thing that I meant to discuss, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So I guess that's about it, unless there's anything else you want to talk about. Anything we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at you? I'm sure there's plenty. I, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to criticize this poor choking technique. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but Andrew's obligatory guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, on, on the Shigura scale, scale, how does he work? And then, like, this would be the... The, the, um, <laughs> the evidence, like, submitted he, in court. He's very angry, so he goes for, like, a, a, a trottling from a yeah. standing position, but, but which is understandable. <laughs> uh, and, and, oh, I just remember the thing that I wanted to point out, because I think you pointed out in All About Eve. I love the I do double... like psychopath when I start talking sorry but you're like yeah no I recognise it in his eyes he's a complete psychopath um, women sorry. love him um, uh, all about Eve but uh, like all about Eve you mentioned the two separate beds yes like the, the, I love that here it's like two again I reckon it's because of the expressionism because like they look bigger but they love that it's like they have two double beds like there's like right and there's a chair between them as well which again I kind yeah. of yeah I mean, I imagine some of that is not waking up the other person. When going out to work on a farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also because they found the baby under a cabbage patch, right? The baby is uh, hella cute. Very cute baby. Um, and, and like, again, because it's a silent film, very much in keeping with yeah, that. It yeah. just looks sad. Babies are normally not cute at all. <laughs> no, it, it's out of character, I think, really. Yeah. Very much against type, I would argue. It's a radical yeah. new approach that changed the way the babies were portrayed in Hollywood. And it, 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 changed, and it changed kind of like the fashion for babies. A lot of people after this wanted to have a cute baby. Yeah, as opposed to a rugged or realistic... why babies are cuter now. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the influence of this movie in terms of filmmaking, in terms of camera movement, in terms of silent cinema, but yeah, Andrew's entirely right. We have not Nobody has cracked that note. So this is an exclusive 250 here. Uh, Sunrise made babies cute. I don't know why I'm the one who said that. But I did. So we're committed to it now. All right, then. I think that about wraps it up. And that is a nice segue into the movie that we will be talking about next week. Because we'll be talking about a movie that is trying to roll back how cute babies have been made. You hate babies again. (laughs) Yeah. But we'll come to that in a second. Andrew, what would you recommend for this? What, what are you this enjoying? Happened? Why is God? <laughs> Why has God forsaken us? Yeah, cursed us. <laughs> but yes, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, what I'm enjoying at the moment, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, at the time of recording, um, uh, Norm Macdonald died a um, short little while ago. Now he's still dead, obviously. But you did. You can remind yourself. Um, of of when he used to be alive and go on the um, Conan O'Brien. Um, a lot of his appearances are there on YouTube. He also had a, a show, show on Netflix, which I think yeah, he liked, yeah, his Netflix show wasn't actually that great. Before he had that show, there was a podcast, which was also done on video. It was also with Adam Eagat, who did the the Netflix show with him. But if you can watch, I think it's called Norm Macdonald Live. He has a lot of hilarious kind of, and, and it, it, you, you can catch kind of some of the cuts of it. And a lot of people who enjoy um, uh, comedy and especially kind of like the, the, the um, Norm um, have, 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 but I've listened to so many kind of, um, it, he, he, he was very much kind of a comedian's comedian. Um, 
I say, trying to make myself sound <laughs> like a comedian. Like, like my taste <laughs> is better than the average person. Um, but, but you, you did like I think when we suggested this podcast, one of your pitches was that we do like improv classes together. Oh, really? Yeah, it was. I shot it down because I'm no fun. Um, <laughs> but yes, that was one of your original kind of pitches. What we do improv together, and you did like your food tour of Los Angeles was also an improv tour, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, 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 not an improv. Sorry, comedy. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that, that's what it kind of was. But and and I, I I don't love a lot of stand up uh, comedy, and I, I I I there there aren't really um any of his stand-up specials that i can recommend i think he 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 never really liked specials that much but i i can certainly recommend his appearances on conan and i think on letterman as well he had a good few on letterman if and, i remember and also on... his, his norm mcdonald live uh podcast a lot of which you can find on on youtube if i remember correctly conan was saying that like the network kept trying to stop him from booking Norm Macdonald. Right, yeah. And uh, like, <laughs> well, the, he doesn't uh, really have anything to promote. N- so. N- NBC uh, didn't like him because of the um, O.J. Simpson stuff. <laughs> okay. Because one of the executives whose names, who, 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 whose name escapes me, uh, was a friend of O.J. Simpson. Oh, okay. Um, do we want to go to the fact machine and check that, or are we just going to leave that on? I think we should leave that one no, on. No, it's there. well known. Yeah, people who are kind of familiar with it will, will know who I'm talking about, but I'm kind of blanking on the Letterman tour into him, not into, into Norm MacDonald. The, the time he came after he was sacked from Weekend Update, he, sa- um, he said, like, oh, that guy's an idiot. Um, it's on the tip of my tongue. You're going to the fact machine. I have gone to the fact machine. And that executive. Oh, boom. <laughs> it is Don Ohmeyer. Yeah. Way to deflate my thunder. But yes, yes, it is Don. I brought Don, Don to the table. That Don was my Ohmeyer. contribution. Yeah. The, 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 um, yeah, like, um, and I, I, I guess I'm, I, it's kind of like a choice of whether when you're talking about uh, Nora McDonald. You mentioned some of the kind of regressive stuff, and you, you you can and you can address it. I don't think I'm the best person to do that. I just found the man very funny, um, uh, and uh, some some of the stuff. I I, I think you you can listen to, um, and the uh, sorry, uh, Conan O'Brien's Andy uh, Richter. Yes, Andy Richter. Sorry, I'm. Uh, 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 no, it's, it's late. It is late, and you have had a glass of wine out of a Batman Forever mug because <laughs> you're a big. That's boy. what puts an edge on it. Yeah, um, yeah, no, but and Andy Richter kind of addressed some of that stuff, which which kind of I guess sours like perhaps rightly a lot of people's kind of opinion of him as a comedian. But he was one of the funniest people in the world, um, and 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 he was very kind of like I I think his. Maybe sometimes lack of sorry. I'm about to kind of apologize for him, but I I think some of his lack of consideration came from being kind of entirely fearless to like almost um, uh, a um, pathological 
<laughs> well, I mean, like, the, there, there is arguably a reason why his career didn't progress in the way that it did for many of. Oh like, yeah, and he had a he he, he had a very um, kind of a self destructive uh, tendency. Like he was a big gambler. He he had lost his entire fortune like three or four times, uh, and it, it, a very strange guy. Um, and uh, like the, the, there, there was a lot of people felt like they didn't really know him or, um, you know, that, 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 that what they saw was an outer shell. Kind yeah. Of and, and his whole um, sorry now for going on about no, no, no. But, uh, the, 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 his 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 whole um, and I'm not saying anything that that like other people haven't covered ad, ad, ad nauseum. But his 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 illness uh, was a secret. Yes, yes, it was. I um, yeah, and it's interesting because he he spoke about that. I think he was interviewed on the Nerdist, and he was talking just in terms of how he felt about like mortality and dying. Um, and the, the interesting thing generally when like comedians die is that there's lots. Often times there is a lot of like very kind of morbid discussions that they're having with people. I remember when. When uh, Harris Whittles died all those years ago, it was it was incredible the amount of like um, uh, like creepily morbid stuff there 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 was to listen to after he was dead um, from him. Anyway, so that's why I've been enjoying. I also sorry in 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 terms of this movie, um, I I mentioned Norway earlier on. I, I some of this looks kind of Scandinavian. If 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 you are traveling anyway, think about going to Norway. It's great. There's uh, fjords. There's all of the different kind of altitudes. You get different types of of, of vegetation and like aspen and. I thought you were about to say different types of dizziness. Um. Heather. There's parts of it that are like the surface of the moon. Um, you can go to to the various art galleries. I think they're Kunstmuseum, um, where uh, you can see works of art by by Munch. Uh, or munch, <laughs> if you prefer. Uh, you can enjoy Scandinavian breakfast, which is a little bit like an English breakfast in that it's a buffet, but there's like there's some really nice kind of uh, roll mops and fish and stuff. There's the like smoked kind of meats and and things. It's really quite nice. Feels somehow cleaner <laughs> than, than than a dirty um, uh, uh, English or Irish breakfast, um, or indeed an Ulster fry. <laughs> um, go to Ulster <laughs> uh, and in terms of recommendations for myself because like Murnau for me will always be Nosferatu um, we mentioned I think Shadow of, of the Vampire but it also stars uh, Willem Dafoe um, and Eddie Izzard I quite enjoyed that well worth seeking out uh, and more recently Midnight Mass on Netflix as well which you know I think at this stage hopefully there's been a bit of discussion I haven't accidentally spoiled what it's actually about for you but it does feature some classic Nosferatu-esque action, uh, which I, I do appreciate and quite enjoy. And also Salem's Lot, which I, I rewatched recently. It's a three-hour uh, television miniseries, but it is uh, well worth seeking out. A wonderful artifact from Tobe Hooper. So those are my recommendations. All right, then. Following off Andrew's wonderful setup uh, in that last segment that we discussed there. Before if I Sunrise... spoke for 15 minutes about <laughs> Norm MacDonald. <laughs> if, I swear if... I won't do that again. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe I'll do it just one more time. <laughs> just one more. Uh, but so if Sunrise is the movie that dared to make babies cute, the movie that we are covering next week rolls back that progress, oh, about 80 years, and we are going to be talking about the second worst movie of all time, 
that is Super Babies, Baby Geniuses 2. And we have managed to rope in a guest who's coming into the studio to record, and by studio we mean the living room. Uh, the wonderful Luke Dunn will be joining us for that discussion. I am really looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, take care, guys. Bye. I'm really looking forward to like putting Luke through. Hell again. That's great. Poor he, guy. Yeah, he doesn't know that he's also signed up for the last Jedi episode either, so it'll be fine. It'll all work itself out. Take care. Yeah. Oh, oh, make sure to cut this out at the end. <laughs> yeah, just so he doesn't realize it's coming. Bye. Bye.